You're listening to. And welcome to another episode of the Good Pop Culture Club. This is episode 60 uh, for Thursday, June the 17th. 2021 uh we're recording this on june the 15th 2021 which is uh opening day happy happy reopening day to everyone here no i've been seeing those disneyland tiktoks (laughs) and they're scary it's like zombie hordes i've been totally disconnected from social media and um just everything in general these past few days i have no idea what's going on Uh. um who's mad with who who knows i've just been looking at E3 videos because the E3 convention is happening right now. So watching a lot of video game stuff, looking at games that I'll never get to play because I don't have 60 hours to dedicate anymore as a, as a working adult. Um, but still happy to see new games coming out. I'm happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's also been, this is the hottest day of the year so far. It's, it's been at 100 so hot. degrees um, where we all live. And let me tell you, I'm not even talking about pretty privilege. Because I only have pretty privilege occasionally when I, you know, like really dress up. But I want to talk about titty privilege, which is what happens when you wear a summer dress that really no longer fits you because you have gained weight in the pandemic. But who the fuck cares? And it's hot. And you walk your dog in the early morning and neighbors who you have seen Many, many times walking your dog, all of them start saying hello to you and start trying to talk to you. And you're like, this is weird. I don't like this. Don't talk to me. <laughs> it, this, is not, this dress doesn't even make me look good. It just makes my tits like hang out, like borderline hang out. It, it, I think it's anything that makes any sort of attention, like kind of like how pregnant women, people keep trying to touch their bellies. Like they, they just all of a sudden, if they pay attention to you, like whatever is causing their attention, they're like, oh. This is an invitation. Um, if you have a dog, also, yes. Um, no, but these are the same neighbors. This is the same dog and the same route I walk. Oh, yes. No, no, no. It's the Everything else of- is controlled. The only thing that has not controlled is my tits are almost out. Yeah, it's the addition of the cleavage, clearly. Huh. I don't know who are these people who want to touch random people because I don't want to touch anyone's belly. It is because so you're a normal gross. person, Marvin, <laughs> with, you know, who respects people's boundaries. Maybe they think I'm pregnant. Maybe. <laughs> no. congratulations thank you it's a food baby it's always it's always a harrowing experience when you're like okay is this a muffin top or is this a baby no no the rules you just don't say shit ever <laughs> ever you don't say shit if ever. they bring it up then you just are great and then don't really comment on it more <laughs> that's really it uh joining me once again to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days uh, self-proclaimed professional asian american just you hey, what up and also professional culture editor, Han Win. Hey, Han. Hey, hey. Oh, well, it is summer, which means it's time for um, summer tentpole season, which is something that we missed out on last year because mm-hmm. all the movies went away. But uh, we got a bunch of blockbusters lined up starting this month, and we're going to be talking about one of them, which is John M. Chu's adaptation of Lin-Manuel Miranda's um, Tony Award-winning musical, In the Heights, which is available to stream now on HBO Max. Um We've all seen this film by now. Jess has seen it twice. Yes. I also realized I could have watched it at home, but like that just didn't seem like an option for me. (laughs) Well, I mean, this is precisely your jam. So it's I love a musical. I love a movie musical. Big screen is definitely (laughs) one of the best ways to go. for. You need that 4D sound, man. You need that. You you need a 5.1 surround sound. I will say I also watched it with a group of other like entertainment related professionals of color. And that was a very lovely crowd to watch this movie in. Yeah, we're going to be talking all about the film um, later on. But first, let's find out what pop culture is picking us through the week. Uh, Han, I know you're really excited to talk about your piece of pop culture. So um, what's popping? Yeah, because I brought it up to you guys last week when we saw last week yeah last week when we saw a movie together and we ate food together and i was like hey there's a show but anyway so um sort of on the tail of like discussing um 
We Are Lady Parts last week, which is a six-part British TV show, which is very short comedy and really good. Um, I am bringing up Starstruck. However, instead of Peacock, it is on HBO Max. That means probably everyone has it. Uh, Starstruck is a very, very cute rom-com. It is uh, created co-created by Rose Matafeo. She is the star. So she is Kiwi. She's half Samoan, half white. Um, and she's a star. She plays a woman named Jessie who has a hookup with a guy named Tom on New Year's Eve. And Tom is played by uh, a good pop culture club favorite, Nikesh Patel. <laughs> this is now a Nikesh Patel pod- fan club podcast. I have still don't know who this guy is. Marvin, I have not been paying Marvin. attention. <laughs> Come on, we are early adopters. We're like those annoying like Mac people who were telling people how great Mac was before like it blew up. And like, yeah, that's very much how I feel what right now. What was he in again? Before he was in Four remember. Weddings and a Funeral, the series on Hulu, right? Which apparently yeah. Noah Bahan and I watched. <laughs> he was he was the lead in that. He was very hot in that. He was very swoon worthy in that. Was he um, also a dick? A- yeah, I mean, but that's kind of hot. Like, that, <laughs> unfortunately, it, it was also four weddings and funeral, and so everyone was kind of a dick at one point oh. or another. So, was he the Hugh Grant character in this one? This um, version? W- which one was the Hugh Grant one? Uh, uh yes, yes. No, no. Yes. He, he is he is the star. So he's the Julia Roberts. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, fair, um, fair. What we were yes. talking about is basically Notting Hill. Uh, Julia Roberts is a, a movie star, and Hugh Grant is the regular schmo who kind of gets together with her um so this series because they hook up on well we didn't reveal it yet but yes because they hook up on new year's eve rose uh or actually jesse um wakes up the next morning you know and just like is tottering around looking at his apartment and realizes because she sees a movie poster with his face on it and she's like what the fuck and she's like so she goes to him in bed and she's like comparing a picture of him you know <laughs> to his face and he wakes up and he's and she's like why didn't you tell me you're an actor he's like i did and so she flashes back to the night before where they're eating cereal naked and <laughs> and and she's like what do you do and he's like actor and she's like uh no offense you know <laughs> so she's so not impressed and i think that's a one of the things that he finds very refreshing about her she's not impressed by his fame she's not a star fucker in that way um but also what she um he also likes about her which we do also as an audience is she's extremely funny um so she's also a stand-up comedian in real life um she co-wrote this show with her uh her partner her friend and um it's just it's sort of that dry, cute ki- kiwi humor that you really can't quite get. It's a little quirky. Um, they're both of the characters. Um, it takes place over the course of a year, and so you see them kind of missing each other, like from episode to episode, because it's only six episodes. So it's like New Year's Eve, then all of a sudden it's spring. <laughs> and, then, and so you kind of are catching up with them at different moments because they're like oh i figured this was just a hookup it wasn't real but then they run into each other again and they really realize that oh wait we have something undeniable uh it's super cute i would also highly recommend um well first of all it's six episodes but it's already been renewed for a second season so you don't have to have your heart broken yay um, you can commit how to it. hbo is this uh, you mean like how much nudity is there? Or and, sexy and, times. I mean, there's a lot of sex, but you don't see much. Uh, mm. I think it's because it was also on BBC Three. <laughs> um, so you see them having sex, but you but there's like the draping. Um, and you see her in her bra when she's having sex, which, pff, you know, that wouldn't be happening. The bra would be off. Um, so she is also very sex positive, though. So she's like having like meaningless sex with a lot of people. Yes, and, we love and, to see it. Yeah, the second <laughs> episode, in fact, it's so good. She just, she like gets off of a houseboat with some guy and she's like, I'm never going to see you again. And it's literally a musical montage of her high-fiving people as she's walking by because she just <laughs> had sex. It's beautiful. I don't think I ruined it for you. You will watch it and still have the same amount of joy. Uh, and one other thing about uh, Rose is she has a comedy special on HBO Max. So you can actually watch that first. It's called Horn Dog, And then you can watch Starstruck and just be just fall in love with her. Um, I, I'm I'm so excited. Like, I, I hope like she gets a huge following here. Apparently, she has a huge following in, you know, overseas already. Um, she won like comedy festivals and stuff like that in New Zealand. 
Uh, and I'm also going to be speaking to her. So nice. Hopefully you can, yeah, hopefully you can, you know, read my interview with her sometime soon. I'm just excited that um, the big Time Warner Corporation HBO is getting behind brown rom-coms, right? You got Nick Hesh and Rose leading a romantic comedy. Yeah, I, I, I think that's one of her biggest points, actually, when she wrote it, because she's like, I love rom-coms and I didn't see people like me in it. Uh, and I 100% agree. And so. I must cast the most hot guy. I mean, <laughs> if I was talented enough and funny enough to be my, create my own show, the whole premise would literally be like, I'm on The Bachelorette, and I just get a lot of sexy dudes, like, fighting over, like, that's the dream, Marvin. That's that's the female gaze. Uh, you know, and you know, at this point, I'm exploring things, let's add some women in there, too. Yeah. I, I mean, I am going to ask her about the casting process and what that was like, but also, it's it reminds me a little bit of... Uh, when I was in publicity back in the day, I was literally next door to where they would have casting for a soap opera. <laughs> and so every now and then it would be like, I'd come back into our office uh, and then I'd be like nudging my fellow assistant and be like, uh, casting passions today. <laughs> and so she, and I was like, was it just, go, just jawlines for days, homework. right? <laughs> yeah. It was like, you know, and then every now and then when it was casting for women, then they'd run into you in the bathroom and they'd, they'd chat you up to see if you were important. Um, <laughs> but anyway, okay. So that was me. Highly recommend it. Go for it. What is popping with you, Marvin? Yeah, I'll go next. Um, so, so this past weekend, uh, my friends and I had our first game night in over a year uh, since we're all vaccinated now. And I decided to break out one of the games that I... <laughs> okay, so over the past year, um, in lieu of playing board games, I've been accumulating them um, by investing in various Kickstarters. And one of the games that I invested in was a game called Shasin, uh, made by Memesis Systems. It's an Indian-based um, game company, and it is a political strategy game where you take the role of a political candidate trying to win an election. So the Why idea do you like the most <laughs> depressing board games. Like you keep wanting to play like Secret Hitler with me and or us, and I'm just like, I don't, I don't want to be Hitler secret or well, not, not Secret Marvin. Hitler anymore because um, Cards Against Humanity got um, they they got canceled. Sorry, I didn't follow the board game drama. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so um, <laughs> the game actually does a really good job of um, imitating the ways that, um, as a politician, you tailor your message and your uh, platform to suit um, the votes that you're going after. And it actually paints kind of a depressing picture of our political system. That's You literally just said... Marvin, Marvin. That's so. The object you, of the game is to win um, the election by securing majority votes in a number of districts. And the way that it works is, once you lock up the majority in the district, you've essentially earned that district's um, votes. So it's kind of like the electoral college, where you can win the election without necessarily having the popular vote. Each turn, um, every player is asked a. Yes or no question based on a number of issues. It can range from questions like, um, do you support universal health care to um, do you believe in the Me Too movement to things like, um, should we privatize schools? And based on those answers, um, you gain points in one of four ideologies. So as you play the game, you start building your politician's um, platform based on these four ideologies. Um, the four of them are the capitalist, which is um, neoliberal policies, um, the suprema, which is more ultra-nationalist policies, the showstopper, which is more like how demagogy you are when you answer things. And the last one is the idealist, which is how um, how socialist you are. So as you gain more cards in each ideology, you start getting better and better bonuses and powers based on those cards. So um, it's a good idea to um, min-max your setup. So the game becomes a guessing game of which answer will give you the ideology card you want. And the interesting system is um, you have to answer each question out loud. So if you really want that Supremo card to get that power up, you have to say out loud that immigrants don't deserve a path to citizenship. So it does create some, you know, some awkward social scenarios. Do you answer truthfully with your ideals or do you like answer with a certain agenda in mind so you can win your election? And um, yeah, it's it's actually a lot of fun. Um, another part of the game is you get the gerrymander votes. So you get to move other people's voters out of your district <laughs> to manipulate the results. I mean, I'll say anything to win, Marvin. I don't care. <laughs> exactly. So you would be, I think you would have fun in this game then. 
why do you continually pick no. the games that just make me like 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 reward the worst parts of myself i feel like at this point <laughs> we should just play monopoly and our friendship just call it you know call it a call it a day a life um <laughs> so my friends and i played a very intense game of shasten and um for a while it was head to head between myself who was playing like a demagogue and my friend who was playing a um a nationalist but at the end my other friend who was playing a socialist character used his idealist powers to flip three districts and win the game from out under us so in the end um the socialist won the election so i guess that's a silver lining in our game i'm happy for you um <laughs> uh, but yeah i mean i have i still have i think three kickstarters that i'm still waiting to receive my oh my, my game do you know on, when um you know when you're i mean a lot of them have been delayed because of COVID, uh, because they all get manufactured in China and needs to be shipped over. So I'm sure the the um, what was the boat? Oh, oh. Uh, ever ever green. God, that no. was like just no, like a the few ever evermore. I'm just <laughs> listing Taylor Swift albums yeah. now. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure Bodie that now boat um, issue also delayed a bunch of stuff. Um, but yeah, if people are interested ever in given. a game that. Um, are they ever given? If people are interested in playing a game that tries to uh, uh, mimic the political process, um, check out Shasin. It's actually a lot of fun. And it also comes with a lot of different um, game packs um, for the issue questions. We were playing a game pack based on American issues of 2020. Um, there's also a pack that I bought, expansion pack, with questions that are more like the future of humanity. So things like universal income or cybernetics and things like that or do ai deserve rights um and one of the expansions also picked up was 2019 brexit this is like too much learning for a board game <laughs> can't we just play the fast and the furious heist board game marvin yeah so anyways my first game night uh was what's popping for me um jess what's popping with you okay i haven't been able to watch a lot of new media at home because i somehow found myself going to the movie theaters three times last week which is like overall say like maybe like 15 hours of my time because i had actually get physically get to the movie theater and like park and you know all that shit we used to do um so i the only thing i was able to keep up with was top chef go asians which apparently sarah Tishously ended up being you guys did not follow this weekend so here is your <laughs> primer for the week um so they had to cook out of basically care packages uh, with ingredients and care packages that their families curated for them it got very emotional people started crying i think that's like a little rude on the producer's part because like you know, these people are already like in super quarantine. So like it's been like a year of pandemic of unemployment of people like firing their staffs and closing their restaurants. And then they just like blocked like everyone just lost their shit. Um, and then it was great, though, because everyone their families wrote letters to them. And then everyone's had like really, really like loving, like emotional letters. You know, we learned that Dawn's mother is in recovery from a stroke. You know, like we like uh maria's son wrote hit her a really really cute letter and then like shoda reads his letter he's like we are proud of you but we are having a lot of fun with your dog dodger <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like my parents are asian yeah so like, <laughs> i was like i get it shoda i get it um so you know it was a 50 50 go asians shoda did well but did not win and jamie was on the bottom and here's where the real drama happens jamie basically tried to quit so Maria could stay in the game because she's like, she deserves a second chance. No. I got a second chance. And it was like very like, I'm just like, what? Like, so they Asian. all have Stockholm syndrome right now. Because I was like, who the fuck would give up their... <laughs> Sorry, like, I know people really like Jamie, but I'm just like, girl, get it together. Like, Do you want to be here or not? Do you want to win or not? No. That, it's such I like mean, a, like self-martyrdom is such an Asian move to do, though, I feel like. that. But you know what? You're in your... In your competition, I don't see that as an Asian thing. That's just a weird Jamie thing. It's just dumb. <laughs> like, I'm just like, it's yeah. dumb. I'm you sorry. You fought your way back and then you're going to throw it away? I'm sorry. Also, Maria has had many chances. Yes. <laughs> and then I'm just like, Ugh, I'm just like, and then everyone's like very touched. Like the judges are crying. It's like very emotional. And then my like very vicious ass is like, 
what the fuck is this? It's like, I thought this was top chef. I thought this was, this is a nice chef. Like, <laughs> what is happening? No, like, Jamie wants fi- face points. That's what she's going for. She wants to honor. No. no, I think she's genuine. It's just, I'm just like, look, like I get everyone's like really loving the niceness of this season, but I'm like, I don't watch Top Chef for like the Great British Bake Off vibes. I'm sorry, I don't. I want a little more cattiness, like a little bit, like a little more like I'm going to buy all the protein so you can't get it. And a little well, bit like I'm stealing like food from your station. I don't mind niceness if you, you know, like when Don cut her finger and people were helping her. That's fine. But you don't put your own, you know, place at risk. That's just yes. dumb. So, I feel like yeah. we're yes. all like oh, Asian parenting Jamie saying, what the hell are you doing? You win or you <laughs> like, don't. If you're going to go, like if you're <laughs> going to do it, you better win. <laughs> yeah. Because you know what? She's not going to get the fan favorite. That's probably going to be Shoda, right? So <laughs> I think Shoda is winning right now. Yes. yes. I, I want him to get both. You know, why not? get that and a then, plus and then i forgot it was like reading up on some top chef stuff and then like apparently like i don't know if you guys knew this like gabe the one that's still in like got fired from his last job for like misconduct i saw that yeah i was like wait what i was like way to bury the lead bravo i'm like like misconduct like you posted that, that in our slack and i was like oh and then it was like it yeah it was like here and it was like yeah it took me a second because i was like is that the same gabe because like there are a lot of gabes and they're all white and so i'm just like yeah <laughs> Yeah, the, the guest judge who was like, they're quick fire. They they imported like a quick fire from France. It was like a very strange black box. Like you had to cook the same dish tag team, but you're like eating it in the dark. And I was like, this is just very extra. Like, that's just very I, yeah, extra. I started the episode, so I didn't finish it. I clearly, I stopped after like literally four minutes. And then I saw the whole weird French black box twist. And I was like, this looks dumb. So I was like, I stopped it. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, France. Your version is dumb. <laughs> I mean, but, look, I love foreign game shows because they're all weird, and European ones definitely have a level of like cheese that we don't. And I don't, and and because that's why we copy a lot of foreign game shows because we don't have that like effortless cheese. Um, we got the mass singer, you know. But yeah, I got to say, this is not a winner. <laughs> yeah, so in so- the end, but our Asians are safe, right? Asians are safe, but okay, Ew. next next week, though, we're having a cheddar cheese challenge <gasps> because of Tillamook. I don't know how the Asians are going to do with this one. I don't know cheese. if Shada knows how to cook with cheese. They oh, apparently no. have to use cheese five different ways. I was like, there's more than one way to use cheese. I thought, though, like, I knew two ways to use cheese. Yeah, eat it. Like, you just eat it straight or you, like, make a sauce. Like, do they you also melt other it over it. Do you they got the, use the raclette. Cheese? Yeah, do they use cheese in Japanese cuisine at all? Only in the way that, like, you bake like, the Americanized, like, sandwich kind of thing. I mean, they're, like, like no. cheesy croquettes, which yeah, is... Yeah, I feel like there might be, it's but... It's all it's Japanese, like, Western food. Maybe, like, you stuff a katsu with cheese, but, like, dude, yeah. that's so fun. Four other ways to use cheese. Like, <laughs> those... They better be giving Shota and Jamie some lactate, like, on the show, or that's just not... That's just, I mean, not all Asians are lactose intolerant. Them. I still yeah, have I'm, a little bit I'm of tolerance. Not. Yeah, I can have a lot of dairy. Okay, flex, rude. <laughs> I mean, I still eat it. It just it doesn't make me like ooh, like totally incapacitated. But like, it definitely makes me gassy. I do have friends who like if they eat any dairy, they like will die. Like not oh, wow. literally die, but they are out of commission. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, see. when I went to Italy, I bought the like Costco sized pack of lactate, and I was like, I'm ready, you know. <laughs> but you got to prepare. So. I mean, cheese forts are just the the cost, the price you pay for eating good cheese, though. Also, have you ever looked at how much calories is actually in like a small ass cube of cheese? I try not to. It's good. It's very calorie. Like, I understand why our ancestors, not our ancestors, obviously, because we don't eat cheese. But I understand why some ancestors were like, yes, this high calorie, um, as shelf stable as we'll get in pre-refrigeration stuff. Like, this is great such caloric density and it tastes good <laughs> yeah i i mean i have to say i'm one of those people i have cheese um and dark chocolate on hand for the various cravings so i have uh i think like five or six different cheeses in my fridge right now cheese is great i love cheese <laughs> yes. i'm a cheese fan i don't know. i have i have faith in our boy soda to knock it out yes, um, yes less faith in jamie but i'm still rooting for her we'll see we'll yes. see i mean finding out that Gabe might be like a bad person or like a me too person 
um, really makes the whole like Shota might be a deadbeat dad a lot more palatable because um, it's a spectrum, you know. And so I'm like, okay, like he was kind of like, I was kind of like, Shota, why do you only see your son twice a year? Like that's kind of messed up. To now, it's like, okay, at least he didn't potentially maybe abuse someone or sexually assault someone or verbally assault someone. Who knows? I mean, it sounds like he's sending money back though. It doesn't matter. What that? What did he do? He went. He got a Japanese woman pregnant. Didn't marry her, and then left her. Like that's stigma bad. Still, that's bad. <laughs> that bad. That's bad. Well, hopefully, we'll hear more of the story later on. If he makes it to the finals, I mean, definitely his boys visiting him during the finals, right? No, he can't because he's in Japan and we're in the US and we're in a quarantine pandemic. Oh, that's true, Marvin. I forgot this is quarantine. Get the corn out of your ears. <laughs> oh well. Excited that uh, we're still two for three for Go Asian. They're still going strong. Um, hopefully, they can both make it to the finals at least. Yes, that would be interesting. Yes. Although, realistically, Jamie's probably next to go. Right? She's like, look, she's actually very talented. She's <laughs> just sort of a dumbass. Um, so I would like it if she got to the final and then said, "Oh, you know what, Shoda, you can win." I'd be fine with that. Han is a fellow Vietnamese, so she can say that. <laughs> I also don't know if her like point of view is necessarily as strong as some of the other chefs. Mm. Like they seem to be very responsive to like Don's cooking, to Shoda's cooking, like yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah. Gabe's cooking. But like Jamie is a little like Yeah, conceptually she hasn't been. She's that hit or miss. Sharp. When yeah. she's yeah. on, she's good. And when I mean when I say by the way, just when I say dumbass, I don't mean she's actually dumb. She just has weird choices <laughs> that she makes. Like getting fighting your way back to the show and deciding like someone else deserves your spot. No. Yeah, that's <laughs> dumb. That's dumb. Well, yeah, looking forward to yeah. continuing on in our Go Asian journey. Um, hopefully till the end. Let's make yeah. it to the end where Shoda can uh team up with Avishar again because that'd be cute (laughs) Harold and Kumar back again (laughs) which they call themselves that I'm not being racist (laughs) all right well that's what's popping for this week when we come back we're headed to the upper west side of Manhattan is west side or east side we're just I I, I don't know New York we're going going to Washington Heights uh, when we come back so stick around We're still here, and we're going strong. It's an exciting time in Asian America. There are more movies, TV shows, books, and music reflecting us than ever. But all of these represent just a small slice of Asian American culture and experiences. So what do we do? Tell more slices. Asian Americana is a show that explores these slices of distinctly Asian American culture and history. We've talked about how Chinese Americans built California's Sacramento Delta, the art scene turns gallery institution giant robot, a play that explores the lost Cambodian pop music of the 60s and 70s, and, of course, Boba, just to name a few stories. You can find Asian Americana at asianamericana.com or on your podcast app. Welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. This week, we're talking about the new movie uh, from director John M. Chu, um, based on the musical by Lin-Manuel Miranda called In the Heights. The film tells the story of a corner in the Washington Heights neighborhood of Upper Manhattan in New York City, where each member of the community pursues their dream of a better life. The film stars an ensemble cast, including Anthony Ramos, Corey Hawkins, Leslie Grace, Melissa Barrera, Olga Meredith, uh, Daphne Rubin-Vega, Gregory Diaz the Fourth and Jimmy Smiths. Jimmy Smiths, I love Jimmy <laughs> Smiths. Like you know, just let's get that out of the way. I fucking love Jimmy Smiths. This man can do it all. He can be a senator in a space galaxy. <laughs> he can be. He can be a um, singing dad. Like put Jimmy Smiths in anything. I just love Jimmy Smiths. I mean, his star making vehicle was as a haunted detective, right? Was he? In my, I might be too shield? young for this. NYPD Blue wasn't he? Like was he haunted? Wasn't he? Wait, was NYPD Blue had like ghosts in it? What? No, like oh, haunted, haunted as, as in like, like depressed. Like, oh, oh, oh yeah. Shit. I was like, I feel like these are two very different shows. <laughs> I, what? Also, I, I was thinking of like Sherlock Holmes detective. So I was just like, what is the show you're talking about? Because I yeah, want to watch like, it. He was yeah. a depressed police detective, right? Yeah. Wasn't Jennifer Love Hewitt like in some kind of procedural where she could like talk to dead That's people? That's the ghost like, whisperer. We were... That's different. Yeah, I thought those more like that. <laughs> 
<laughs> Jimmy Smith could play a literally haunted detective and knock that out of the park, though. See, yeah, he'd be great. Because I'm older, I was just like, what are you talking about? His his big role was in L.A. Law. So that's why I was like, what the hell? And then, of course, <laughs> NYPD Blue was his next big thing. And he was on West Wing. We just love Jimmy Smith. Like, we just love Jimmy Smith. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Jess, I'm going to let you start with general impressions since you are undoubtedly the biggest fan of this musical before the movie came out. Okay, look, I have been bitching and moaning about the state of movie musicals for at least the last 10 years. Um, I would argue even since Chicago, which is fine and which is good and enjoyable in a vacuum, but like when you take a beat to like look at some of the technical stuff of like move making chicago you're like what the fuck rob marshall but it made a shit ton of money and won a lot of oscars people really loved it so you know they just let rob marshall direct every single fucking musical for the next 10 years and then like tom hooper fucking slaughtered and i don't mean that in a good way uh, Lay Miss. So then they just let him do a bunch of bad musicals like Cats, which I mean, Cats at least was so bad it was good again, like full circle. Oh, so I'm just like, what the fuck? Like Mary Poppins. I was like, I, I walked out of Mary Poppins, <laughs> the sequel, so mad, and I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, why can't no one make a movie musical? What and are it's your like John Chu, Baz Luhrmann. Oh, I do love Baz Luhrmann, but his is like, I like Moulin Rouge a lot. It's one of my favorites but it's like this weird thing where i i i kind of like put jukebox musicals in its own like <laughs> like sphere like the mama mia's and the um you know rock of love which no one saw i don't think and <laughs> that's and, true i wonder why they never get baz Luhrmann a like actual original musical to do i think he would have been he would have done pretty I, well right i think if he wanted to he would have i'm talking about like you know, specifically like movie. I, I don't know if there's ever been a musical movie that was straight up just the musical first. Like that wasn't a jukebox musical because I just think that the standard pipeline is you become a hit on Broadway and then you get your movie adaptation. Or it's like, you know, like we're going to reboot Mary Poppins, that kind of a thing. But like it's it, they're different breeds of musical. So we're going to talk specifically about like the movie musical, not the jukebox musical, like original like content. And it's just like they were they've all been bad. They've all like <laughs> made these weird artistic choices that I was like what's the point? Like that's not what people go people don't go to musicals for like yeah, I want it raw and gritty. Like, no. Who, who, do you know who the audience for musicals is? Like, movie musicals is. Like, it, a gritty, small, intimate musical might work on a stage. But, like, I'm not going to... There's something about the verisimilitude, big-ass word, but, like, the rea realness <laughs> of film mixed with, like, the sentimentality and emotion of, of like, the musical number that just, like, I feel like they conflict. So, like, so like you have to be stylized i think you have to be stylized i think you have to kind of know how to work those like homages i also grew up on like golden age musicals so mm -hmm. like that is my frame of reference and that's what i love so like to be like very honest like i grew up on sound of music which is like a fucking behemoth of like a golden age musical i've never watched it oh that's a cultural gap that's a like a three hour long movie marvin <laughs> Um, you know, one of my favorite movies is like Singing in the Rain, mm -hmm. which in all honesty, like makes no like it's really like that that era's version of a jukebox musical. because It was <laughs> just like an amalgamation of leftover songs. But like the way they made it and Gene Kelly's like Gene Kelly-ness basically makes it a beautiful showcase. So it's like I think musicals have to like be an amazing showcase of talent in terms of like the singing, dancing, the production, the design. Like that all needs to come together. Give me big, give me spectacle, give me like not realistic, give me big dance numbers, give me energy, give me joy. I feel like so many of these musicals in the last few years just didn't bring joy to the screen. And I'm like, why the fuck am I watching this? Yeah, it's like, don't get it confused with opera. Opera is where you can be tragic. Yes. Musical is like the tra trailer tra park trash, like cotton candy fair cousin of the opera, right? It is like the cheesiest. It's, and that's why people love it. Like, I, 
I don't get why they these people didn't get that. But like John Chu gets it. John Chu gets it. It's about because and it's not surprising because he comes from very commercial background, comes from a lot of musical directions. He did the Justin Bieber movies. And let's be real. Those are kind of just like two hour long music videos. (laughs) He did Step Up. You know, he he he's very good with movement. And you see that even in, you know, like Crazy Rich Asians, like he just adds musical numbers. He adds music to a lot of things. Did you ever? He's very good at that. Did you ever watch LXD? The League of Extraordinary yes. Dancers. Yes. I mean, just dancing, right? He's he's very well versed in this. So he knows how to do it. And then he did not fall into these traps of like, hey, we need to sing live. He does choose to make his actors sing live in one pivotal scene. I thought that worked. And it calls back to some very cool one shots in musical theater history which is something we don't typically get. Like if you, again, sorry, I like I'm so mad at Rob Marshall still. If you look at any of Rob Marshall's musicals, he just fucking like, like, I don't know. Like, did he channel Edward Scissor's hands? He will literally just like cut. Like you will get one second. He cuts, 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 cuts. And I'm just like, I don't know if you just like cast the wrong person who can't dance. Yeah, I or... actually don't like any of his musicals. I don't watch No, they're them. terrible. Yeah, they're horrible. Yeah. I'm watching, I was watching, Um, I watched Mary Poppins 2 in theaters and then, that whole big number scene with like at the end with the lamplighters and everyone like on BMX bikes in like 18, like 1900s London. And then I'm just like, you took so much time to stage this ginormous, huge number. And you like, don't even give us a wide shot for more than like two seconds. Like why? What's the point? What's the point? So like, yeah. So it's like, John Chu heard all my bitching and moaning for the last <laughs> 10 years and was like, no, no, no. Well, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to give it back. Like We'll give it back. We're going to bring it back a little bit. We're going to bring it back, add a little bit of that modern flair. And to be honest, it is very hard to balance a contemporary setting with a musical. Mm-hmm. Because again, musicals are inherently cheesy. Mm-hmm. It's much easier to get away with it if you are adding a layer of nostalgia. So musicals tend to be about a time prior to where you are now. Right? Like Greece yeah. was in the 70s. Oliver in the 50s Oliver like you get a lot of like historical yeah. context like historical stories or like or you know, fan- old classic stories adapted to musicals or fantastical so fact- like wicked yeah yeah so then it's like it's it's actually very hard to balance just kind of like this enough reality where you're like yeah I get it and then and you know having people burst into su- song and dance in the middle of nowhere <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think you have a point. I feel like John Chu decided he wanted to just go all in, right? Okay, let's make Washington Heights this like fantasy land where people will break into song and just commit to it. Like, there's also this layer of because if you really think about it, the main character of the musical is not really was Navi. It's, it's the neighborhood, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think that's what surprised me a little bit was how this film, this musical, kind of played to me, kind of like a like an indie film in a way where you're not really following a central narrative. You're following just like a bunch of stories taking place in this place that they're all interconnected somehow. Yeah. And, and they do, uh, the person who wrote the book, Kiara Alegria Hudis, Hudis, um, she, they do create a framework for the movie to kind of explain the musical fantasy, fantasy side of what we're seeing on the screen. Because when you're watching it on the stage, you're already transported to that place. So here they gave the framework of him talking to the little kids um, on the beach. And of course, only, you know, later on, do you realize where he actually is? But because I felt cheated by that revelation, to be honest, I was like, I think, well, I think we all expected it. But because (laughs) he's telling this, it's all touched by his sort of like through his eyes. And so that's why we're seeing it at, at the very first where he steps on the gum and then all of a sudden he changes it so his foot is making it like you know scratch dj so um it yeah they basically sort of weave in the why of the fantasy element from the very beginning yeah Uh, yeah and i love how just throughout you know he sets that up in the beginning and throughout like the sounds of the neighborhood and nina points this out she's like i want to listen to my neighborhood are just like interspersed throughout um the musical number so you know there's like a little break and then like you know a basketball switch goes on the downbeat um that was like i thought really wonderful and just like these nice little touches of of bringing of of, of basically teetering that line between the reality 
and the musicality. Um, yeah, that was really like even that first number, the neighborhood was keeping rhythm for the for the piece, and that was really cool. It's it's a very like you can see John M. Chu flexing his like music video chops in throughout this entire movie, and I mean the set piece um, numbers are all. I think they're they're, they're all great. fantastic, you know. The one where and they're um, the most stylized, right? I think the the actually this is the weird part because again, it's a very one eighty from what some of these other music, movie musical people were trying to do, of like making it very real. But like the scene, you know, Pacencia Fe, the scene with Abuela in the subway is like as stylized as you can get. That's like Oklahoma. We're gonna throw a ballet in the middle yes. of this movie, you know. Um, it's like more stylized than some of these golden age musicals. Like, there's not even a moment in like Sound of Music that gets that, like, right as so abstract. And then the fact that you know it's a medium, it's a visual language we have seen before. Like, you know, if spoiler alert, if you haven't seen this, but basically she's on like the brink of death, and she has to. She's reflecting on her life, and she's trying to decide if she wants to like go to the light at the end of the tunnel. Which is, you know, a very cliched kind of visual. But then the fact that it is a Washington Heights subway tunnel is like, and it's lit up and there's dancers. And it's just like, I just thought that was such a cool twist on like things we're so used to. Right? This musical, American musical visual language that has been predominantly white for for a century is like now being filtered through a different lens yeah and i mean there's there's going to be inevitable comparisons with like lin-manuel miranda's other hit musical hamilton right because the music styles are are kind of similar right the the way like the the rhythms but i found myself liking this one a lot more and i feel like it'll probably age a little i mean it probably has aged a lot better than hamilton has right in like the general like zeitgeist of it all like in the end you know you can't enjoy hamilton without also accepting that it's about a bunch of like privileged white dudes and actual slave owners right um i mean like overall like you know depending on who you follow on twitter like things are getting a little spicy we got some hot takes which um has been very interesting um you know i think lin-manuel is now at the point where like he's just too big to fly under the radar on anything now. So everything is going to be scrutinized. He is also not someone who keeps things on lock. Um, so, you know, things people are inevitably not going to agree with some of his choices. I think that is totally fine. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like he's entered the same kind of air as like someone like an Aaron Sorkin, right? Which is their hearts are probably in the right place, but their executions aren't always on unlock yes and it's very much you know there is this interesting take now you know we had to realize that lin-manuel miranda is not dominican he wrote his main character who he played on the broadway show as dominican because washington heights is predominantly dominican neighborhood like 60 percent. i looked this up because i was curious it's like 60 percent of the immigrant population in washington heights is dominican uh, for those of you who are unaware people from the dominican republic um tend to be afro-latina so they are black latino um, because history of colonization, look it up. <laughs> and slavery. So there has been, the short answer is slavery, but yes, it's like I feel I still feel like there's people who don't realize that like black Latinos li- exist, like people don't realize like black Asians exist, you know, like it's a whole thing. But you know, there's there's there are there are whole countries in the Caribbean, like with predominantly Afro Latino populations, the Dominican Republic being one of them. Um, so it's also it's also very weird for me to like try to unpack and digest as like an outsider to the community. I'm very like used to being understanding from the inside perspective. So yeah. as someone who's like not in the community, <laughs> I was like, oh shit, like what the whoa, whoa, what I'm like, I'm learning so much. Like, I mean, if we want to compare to something, it's similar to the conversation we had on representation when Crazy Rich Asians came out, right? Because so it's like, okay, here is a huge property based on like um that's predominantly people of color, but it's not like it's being hailed as something that's a win for representation, but doesn't necessarily represent everyone. I would argue it's a little more complicated than that because Kevin Kwan was writing specifically, the, the author of the book, Crazy Rejections, was specifically writing for, you know, he was writing Chinese Singaporean characters mm-hmm. in a very, you know, that were wealthy by definition and like not like the rest of us by definition. And that was the story uh, versus like, you know, 
I think it'd be more similar. I think the analogy would work better if you were saying like, hey, like a light skinned Chinese person who has come from like a like upper middle class family is going to write a whole movie about like a Cambodian genocide experience, <laughs> uh, which actually does happen still. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cambodian genocide experience. And then on top of that, like I'm not going to cast any Cambodians in it or like my leads people are gonna like just I'm just gonna cast Chinese people as my leads yeah mm. and they're all light-skinned Chinese people <laughs> you know it there's a sim- like again I think like very similar to Asian communities and how we're not a monolith you know the l- Latin community is not Latin a, Latinx Latin a, however you want to however you identify that's also like a whole other debate I'm like oh my god this is so much information <laughs> Um, you know, it's so, so it is a little, it's a, it's a little more complicated, but also realizing that he started writing this in college, maybe like twenty five years ago. So it may not be an excuse, but there's a reason. But I also think there's definitely no they should have done better in twenty. I mean, yeah, I feel like though. the complaints are valid because they had a chance to maybe adjusted with the adaptation, right? Like, there's no reason Navi had to be Dominican. He could have been. No, what? he has to be Dominican. That's the thing. He has to be Dominican. The the story you you're not going to be able to change the entire thing and be like he's not going to the it's a rhyming musical, Marvin. Like, <laughs> um, but like you know, in terms of casting, I think in casting the four leads in, uh, in terms of casting, um, the other like chorus members, the, the other side characters who have bigger roles with names and. Um, you know, lines. Uh, and it's sad because I think, honestly, everyone in the cast does a pretty great job. I think, like, Daphne, um, Ruben Vega, who, you know, all the theater heads will know as the original Mimi from Rent, who did not do the movie Rent because she's like, look, I'm too old and I'm pregnant, like, not going to do Rent. Uh, so the role went to Rosario Dawson. Like, she's phenomenal. I think Stephanie Beatrice was really fun. I thought, like, you know like they're all great i think like anthony ramos did a lovely job like he's very charming he's very pretty to look at so it's like hard to it's like two things can be true at once like they did a great job but also like it's not i don't think there weren't actors who were you know more black afro-latino actors who couldn't who couldn't have also done a great job that's true my one problem with casting, though, was I did I did not like Melissa Barrera in as Vanessa, and I don't know if it was her or the role that how it was written. Nina's a tough. Uh, Vanessa's a hard character to play because she's just mad all the time. Literally, that's her character trait. She's like annoyed at everything. I was curious about your take on her character because I do like uh, Melissa Barrera from Vita which is a mm-hmm. star series, which is very good. It's, and it's also set in um, uh, LA's um, Boyle Heights. So, and that's very specific to the neighborhood. Um, and it's also very queer uh, series. So it's, she's always, always, you know, already in our minds been very good with representation. So when you were first saying, well, I don't know who this is. And I love this other actress who was always going to be Vanessa for me, I was like, interesting. So while I was watching, I was like, I wonder what Jess thinks of her performance. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it was writing or performance, because I think she is pretty, I mean, that scene where, the champagne scene at the end, that was one shot, and that was sung live. Um, I think she did a great job, but, I mean, Vanessa is kind of just prickly, and if I think if you don't have the right inherent charm to carry that or to lay over that um it's a little difficult i also think that part of it is that usnavi reads so different on anthony ramos than it does on lin manuel <laughs> like you understand why vanessa has traditionally not given usnavi the time of day because lin manuel got you know probably a lovely man lovely soul just like is not hot not traditionally <laughs> hot, and he his Usnavi is very, very awkward and very, very nerdy and like kind of, kind of a dork. 
And then when you put that on Anthony Ramos, you're just like, I don't give a shit. Like, you look so good in that T-shirt. Oh, those eyes, those little freckles. I'm just like, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can. You know what? You can call me a whore. I'm, 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 I think I'm okay with that. Yeah. And to point out about how he really, the, the power of his, not just looks, but charm, can just push through anything. If you ever watch uh, She's Gotta Have It on Netflix, his character is so like terrible costumed out no like he has the teeth he has like different hair he has crazy thick glasses everything and i was just like who's that because this is before you're still I, into yeah her, right? I, but this is before i knew hamilton so i was like uh, who's this person and why is he like got this plum roll and the spike lee joint and so i was googling him and so i like yes and then every time after that i was like when I would see the Hamilton cast, I'm like, oh, that's the she's got to have it guy. <laughs> um, so, yes, uh, he's hot. Uh, Kevin yeah. Klein ad hot. Literally. I, <laughs> oh, my God. He's so sorry. Just thinking about that Calvin Klein ad. No. Um, yeah, I just. Uh, b- b- yes, back to back to the topic because we're serious podcasters. <laughs> Are you sure? Um, <laughs> I, I just don't know if I buy her swagger. Mm. I think that's the thing with. I mean, as someone who's coming to this um, musical cold, I thought it was fine. But you know me, I'm very forgiving on a lot of. Yeah, you're just very content person. (laughs) Um, But it's just also, I think, because everyone, I loved everyone. I love Nina and Benny, like Mm -hmm. Corey Hawkins. Holy shit! I'm just like, how are you so beautiful? Their set piece number where they dance on the wall of that building was really, really cool. I, I was like Christopher Scott. And then, of course, they did the whole gravity defying thing. Because I remember going into that scene not knowing what to expect. And I was like, why is her hair in a braid this time? Well, there's the reason. So they couldn't show gravity. Like, yeah. So they wouldn't show which way gravity yeah. was actually. Going. I thought that was really smart. I was like, good job. Good job, hair design. But honestly, I was re-watching the film. And just that first scene where she goes into the... Uh, the dispatch office and they're like sing flirting with each other and i'm just like oh, it was so good so yes i understand and i kind of agree that i think as much as i like melissa barrera as an actress i don't know if i felt the similar amount of weight in her character and chemistry that um i saw with everyone else and i still thought she did a great job that's the thing about it there was one little spark missing yes and I also don't know if I enjoyed the. I don't. I to be fair, I've not actually seen the musical. I have listened to the stage recording <laughs> and have watched on like the the bootleg YouTube like uploads as much as I can. But I believe the whole like storyline of her wanting to go into fashion was added for the movie. And I don't know that. I also think that was like a weird motivation for me because I thought that some of the visuals were cool, like the 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 the, the cloth flying down the buildings but like it's it's always hard when you do costume when you do fashion within a show within a movie because we're to understand that it is she's talented and she's very um creative but then like you know the looks don't hit it kind of undermines it and i don't know if the looks hit like honestly i thought her costuming was really weird and all over the place she's the only one who was like i don't understand this character like what does she wear i the, the the chorus costuming was wonderful. I thought a lot of the characters individually had really... I thought I loved Nina's costuming. But there were some things where I'm like, if this is set in contemporary Washington Heights, they are definitely missing some elements. I feel like they're missing definitely a youth culture. I don't know if anyone like Nina's age would be wearing like high heels walking down... <laughs> Brooke Washington Heights, she would 100% not be wearing it to the airport. Do you think she only did that because that was when she came back from the West Coast? Because that's also when she had straight hair. Yes. And obviously, she's like getting more culturally ingrained yes. as long as she spends. But yeah, so like that was, um, and then, and then like again, if the whole thing is that Vanessa's, and maybe I'm wrong because I'm old now as fuck now too. So who, what do I know about what's cool? But I like watch a lot of TikTok, and I feel like that's not what the kids <laughs> wear. Because Vanessa's supposed to be like, Nina's supposed to be 19. Like she's she's dressing like I would have dressed when I was 19, which was 10 years ago, guys. That's 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 upsetting to say, but like that's there's something there's a disconnect there. I think. Um, 
but I think in terms of the like, and then like, if you're emotional, if you're emotional, crux, high point. I forgot all my film terms. Climax. Climax. If you're emotional, climax and depends on like making clothes so beautiful that Usnavi decides to stay in America and give up his dream to run a bar in the Dominican Republic that he's already put the money down for. I'm like, did those outfits hit? Well, and okay, so I wonder 100% agree with that, especially for this caliber of film that maybe the her costume design and her personal costume designs that she made she definitely should have had maybe a stronger point of view, not just splatter paint. Um, but I do have to say that that is an ongoing source of delight for my friends and I who watch really bad rom-coms, um, especially on Hallmark Channel. Because anytime anyone is an artist, then just be prepared for the worst art you can possibly Yes, imagine. Yes, that's always really hard, right? <laughs> to create artistic products that like are central to the emotional or plot of a movie it's always hard whether it be fashion or like music right like cartoonist like i've seen some stuff that i could have drawn better um there was one where this person did an art project with like two of his faces in it it was just um another one where they're like designing shop windows and it was so ugly but as Um, long as the other characters say oh this is so moving um and i would have to say (laughs) emily and paris did that where um, the big fashion designer that she was courting did a big show at the end and everyone was like, and it was so ugly. (laughs) And it was (laughs) cheesy too. So yes, I I unfortunately don't think that that's the thing they were going for in in the Heights. I think we were supposed to think her stuff was cool. Um, I did like her first outfit where she had sort of that baseball shirt over her like crop top. Fishnets, that was really cute. That was the only outfit of hers I liked. Everything else, I'm just like, (laughs) Why are you wearing houndstooth? Oh, not houndstooth, but like, why are you wearing tweed shorts? Like, that's just not what you wear. Like, maybe all it's the outfits fashion. are kind of chuggy. Sorry, like the outfits are her outfits specifically are chuggy. I think all the other characters' outfits make a lot of sense. Yeah, I um, personally would wear uh, tweed shorts, but I also don't imagine that i am an up-and-coming 20s fashion but but designer. that's the thing like like how do we how do we envision vanessa not wearing um, tweed yeah like or how how do we how old do we envision her like early 20s right like yeah. early 20s she is born and raised in manhattan in washington heights in like a in so new york city 22 years old like in all honesty nothing in my closet and her closet should overlap right right I, I, or your closet let's be real right yeah. like there should be and i definitely, definitely have not my closet shit like that <laughs> yeah as someone who um has no idea about fashion i was like because uh, i guess it, wasn't it a guy who's who's the costume designer yes and mm. <laughs> i don't want to make assumptions but he looks white <laughs> i uh, okay so if we're talking about like authenticity when i think about all the some of the behind the scenes um, craftspeople, I think they did a lot of research and they did consult people, but every now and then I was just like, is that as much as you wanted to do? So um, I do think like the opening number is amazing where they're going through all the, like the apartments of Washington Heights and showing people doing, going about their daily business. Uh, And you see like the crowded kitchen where the mom is combing the girl's hair. Uh, So all of those details are great, but I think you're right. Like when it comes to certain things that are in the spotlight, maybe the scrutiny <laughs> doesn't kind of hold up. I, I'm also I mean, just I think the like, issues with this film is probably issues that are endemic with the entertainment industry in general, right? Which is you have like a very well-meaning project and a lot of good decisions have been made, but also a couple bad ones that are that stick out because the good ones are there, right? Because this is being lauded as like something that is like, if not groundbreaking, something that like should is like a win for diversity representation inclusion but it also has these glaring flaws that like could have been fixed with more diversity representation and inclusion yeah it's just weird because i seem to remember like how many names were asian on crazy rich asians but then there were still some of the same white people behind the scenes um like the uh set dresser 
uh, same person and some other people that John Chu the like, costume kind of design, designer too, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, because why else? Um, I mean, I, that is the my one point. As much as I enjoy, like, I think John's great use of music and like vis- like movement and everything. I absolutely do not get his costumes. I actually hate Rachel's dress. Same in Crazy Rich Asian. It. <laughs> But it's, everyone else thought ugly. it was beautiful in the movie, so it has to be. That beautiful, became right? that became iconic. I was like, "This does not fit you. Does not show off your body." It's like the hair is kind of like it did not yeah. make me gasp. And as a connoisseur, <laughs> a connoisseur, Marvin of the makeover reveal, like we mm-hmm. know, like we know when it hits. Like the women know when it hits, right? Like top of my head, you know, ever after lives rent free yes. in my head. Yes. <laughs> Cinderella story Hillary Duff lives rent free in my head. Um, what a girl wants. Amanda Bynes with that like blue number lives yeah. rent free in my like we know when it's good. And I'm just like, that did not work. It was that overworked and weird looking. So yeah. So I think same problems. And specifically, it's just really funny because I feel like, yeah, like the the things around it are all pretty great. Um, I specifically love um uh Dasha Dasha Polanco Dasha Polanco yeah. her little like jumpsuit all number. of her oh outfit. so cute her outfits are so good and I'm just like that is super cute but then like you know when it comes to the hero outfits of the character who's supposed to be into fashion when it comes to the hero outfit of like this is some grand makeover where money is no object and I'm like that's the best you got <laughs> like I think that's kind of where like the weird like dissonance is <laughs> well as we wrap up our discussion of In the Heights, um, we got to ask, is In the Heights good pop? I absolutely say it is. Um, I do recommend if you're watching it at home, give yourself an intermission. But I 100% like this really, I also grew up with musicals. I did not listen to the cast recording before this, but um, it, I feel like it brings back that magic of the traditional movie musical. It's a spectacle. There's so many details taken care of. All the performances, even with our little nitpickiness, have been really good. And it's just like, I don't know how many people are just going to fall in love with like yeah. these characters. So I, yes, I would like show this to my mom. Um, so I, you know, all of, take all the critiques and, you know, take them to heart, but also very much support this movie. Yeah. I mean, I think people forget musicals are a large part of musicals is just good vibes like you just want to want to spend time with it and i watched this movie twice this weekend in the theater and that's five it was hours such of an amazing i know that's five hours not including <laughs> travel time and or intermission and it was just such a wonderful experience i was very deliberately saving like this experience for the theater i was not going to watch it you know on i'm on the smaller screen i'm so glad i did if you feel comfortable going out i would highly recommend watching it in a big screen um and then it was really special cuz that first time i watched it was with a group of other you know younger i mean we're not that young anymore but you know youngish uh def- definitely millennial gen zers <laughs> Um, you know, people of color working in the entertainment industry, and it was such a fun time. And let me tell you, it was like pretty. It was a pretty good number of us. And let me tell you, when like Pasancia Faye, that entire sequence, fucking dead quiet, like hooting and hollering. Every other number, were like, yeah, you know, a lot of things hit. There were some parts where I like felt a hundred percent attacked as a child of immigrants. I'm <laughs> like, please, please, sir, stop. Uh, please, ma'am. Oh my God! When when she sings with when when Abuela Claudia sings like I inherited my dreams from you and I'm like oh stop <laughs> I can't cry that much you know breathe makes me cry every time it's just mm. the, you know it is like one of the best Jimmy Smith's guilty father moment <laughs> oh my God it's it's like it's just like that disappointment of like oh fuck like I was supposed to be the one that's made it out and like i cannot do this like i cannot do this and like how do i which is a lot to put on a 19 year old girl's shoulders and like you know those all still hit emotionally and then you know, a lot of hooting a lot of crying a lot of noises a lot of fun and then like you know we get to we get to pacencia fade just like fucking dead silent the entire time <laughs> up until she walks through that tunnel even after when he's like doing his spoken word piece which is also very lin-manuel typical Lin-Manuel and I'm just like this is great I fucking love the movies this is why I fucking love the movies yeah I also think it's good pop I mean 
there are criticisms, and I think I'm a firm believer that it's totally possible to love something but also find critiques in it, right? Because that's yes. that's what art is supposed to be. Um, and you know, for those of us, like definitely for those of us who understand how movies are made, we kind of see certain things like they could have done better on the representation side that would have improved the movie a lot. But in the end, this is a major Hollywood musical film that features a almost completely people of color and especially like Latinx cast. There's only like a couple white people in the film and they're all like side characters or like characters put in to like accentuate the whiteness, right? And I think that's something that's really, as sad to say, still pretty groundbreaking for this day and age in terms of films. And I think it might not be perfect, but it's a good step and it's a perfectly like it's it's a very enjoyable piece of media that I'm enjoyed watching. Like, you know, we complain about how it's two and a half hours, but like when I was watching, I didn't really feel the time. I think it was more of the fact that I was watching today in time for this podcast. So I was like, oh God, am I gonna finish in time? But the journey on it was totally fun. And I mean, it's 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 almost funny that this is coming out the same year as like the Steven Spielberg like West Side Story, which is like, why why <laughs> yeah oh why God. even bother when you're having the heist oh, in twenty twenty one? But so you stupid. know, I am I am not a Spielberg fangirl. I actually find him very boring, and there's definitely a reference to West Side Story in the club scene. Mm-hmm. But I will give Steven Spielberg props. He did cast an Afro-Latina, dark-skinned Afro-Latina woman to play Anita. He mm-hmm. also discovered John M. Chu. That's fair. So we got to <laughs> give him some, some credit, I guess. But do have we forgiven him for short round? Mm. Okay. I got to tell you. even that out? I got to tell you, when I was a kid, I dressed up like short round. When I was a kid, I was a fan of short round, too. (laughs) Short round, short round is like one of those guilty pleasures. Like, I get it. It's, it's like, it's all we had. Same with, it's all we had. I get it. You know, we love the Goonies. We love, we love short round, but like, you know, you know, if you look at that movie, it's like, oh, I'm like, oh my God, like the whole like thuggy cold and like the ripping out the hearts and like the, oh yeah. mm, I still want to see, anyway. I want the next Indiana Jones movie to be just Indiana Jones reckoning with all his like white privileged saviorness of I the past I don't think that's going to happen, <laughs> but someone did on TikTok was like, why don't you just make like reboot Indiana Jones with like someone like Pedro Pascal, but he's an archaeologist who has decided to like take things and return them back to their people. Like their, I would their watch people. shit out of that series. I mean, that's in... <laughs> In a lot of ways, that's the Carmen San Diego cartoon. Um, except she's also uh, a trained assassin. <laughs> we love it. We love it. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, let us know if you have any thoughts on In the Heights. Um, you can engage with us on Twitter at Good Pop Club. Uh, Jess Hunt, if people want to follow more of your thoughts on social media, where can they go? I am at Jess Jew Tweets at Twitter. <laughs> and I am at Anonymous. And you can find me at Marvin Yeah. Um... And yeah, that'll do it for this episode of the Good Pop Culture Club and our discussion of In the Heights. Um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, the Good Pop Culture Club is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian-hosted podcasts. Uh, you can check out our fellow Potluck pods by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Brian, did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada's a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. 